Joe Biden turns around a flailing presidential campaign with a massive showing on Super Tuesday. Whereas last week, Joe was dead, both figuratively and literally. Now he is only dead literally. We will examine what the establishment comeback means for the Democratic primary and for the general election. Then the media are shocked that a Hispanic could possibly vote for President Trump. Disgraced thruple Congresswoman Katie Hill teaches us all a lesson on selfishness and Taylor Swift hates men. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles and this is The Michael Knowles Show. What a night last night on Super Tuesday. If you joined us for Daily Wire backstage coverage, we were there smoking stogies and drinking whiskey for about four and a half hours or so. And uh, the results were largely what, what we predicted would happen on this show yesterday, which was that going into Super Tuesday, before the establishment Democrats dropped out of the race, before Buttigieg and Klobuchar dropped out and endorsed Joe Biden, it looked like Bernie was going to kill it. He was going to n- not quite sweep Super Tuesday, but really have a blowout. And then after those establishment candidates got out and you saw all of the Democratic usual suspects, Susan Rice, uh, Harry Reid, those kind of people, after all of them coalesced within the course of about two days behind Joe Biden, when you just looked at the poll averages and you added on that extra establishment support, all of a sudden it completely flipped and looked like Joe was going to blow it out. And, and that's basically what happened. We've now got a final delegate count. I mean, these delegates are still coming in, but final for uh, Wednesday morning after Super Tuesday of about 450 or 453 to about 380 for Bernie Sanders. So you've got about a 70 point lead now, 70 delegate lead for Joe Biden. That's a, a commanding lead. The third place is Elizabeth Warren. She's only got about 50 delegates as of right now. And then everybody has even fewer after that. So this is now certainly a two-person race. And uh, it's probably going to be a race to the convention. So Joe Biden won Alabama, Arkansas, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, and Virginia. Texas is a big win here because the the two big prizes on Super Tuesday are Texas and California, just in terms of population. It looked a week ago like Bernie was going to win Texas. Then Joe turned it around. It was very, very tight. So it's not like each of these states was a blowout. And I think the tightness of that is going to really matter at the convention, because the one thing that the Democrats do, they rig up the whole primary, right? They've got a a group of people called super delegates who are just these party elites who come in, doesn't matter what the voters vote for, they're going to come in and choose whoever they want in a smoke-filled back room at the convention. And the super delegates account for about 16% of the total delegates who are going to decide who the nominee is. But to offset that, what the Democrats do in their voting is uh, proportional voting. So it's not like they just come in and a winner takes all in in the state. And so, you know, if you win the state 51 to 49, all of a sudden you get 100% of the delegates. Actually, it's proportional. So if you win 51% of the state, you might get 51% of the delegates. What that does is drag out the convention fight uh, all the way, all the way until the DNC. So if it were a normal candidate that was running against Joe Biden now, you might see as Joe Biden's lead begins to grow, you might see that candidate consider dropping out of the race. But Bernie Sanders is not a normal candidate, 
we, we, uh, we read Bernie Sanders's sex manifestos about the revolution from the late 1960s and early 70s. This is not your run-of-the-mill establishment dem. He's not going to fall in line. He's about 350 years old, so it's not like he's going to get a whole lot more opportunities to run for president. All he's done for his entire life is be a political activist and run for office. So this is kind of it for him. He's going to drag it out. It's going to get very, very bloody. And Bernie did get a big state win last night. He got California. And in addition to that, he got Colorado, Utah, and Vermont. And as of writing this show, Maine was still up in the air. So uh, the delegate count, pretty, pretty clear now. Uh, Joe Biden is up in the lead. And boy, those Democrats dodged a bullet for now. We will explain why. First, I've got to thank our friends over at stamps.com. Uh, I am a millennial. I don't want to leave my chair if I don't have to leave my chair. I don't want to have to go interact with the physical world if I can do things virtually. Stamps.com is great for me. It is completely online, so you don't need to make special trips to the post office or, or, you know, head on out and have to wait online and all this. No, stamps.com, you save five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off shipping rates. And that can really add up. Just use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. If you are living in the 21st century, you got to go to stamps.com, okay? This, it, it isn't like the 1950s anymore. Go, it makes your life so much easier. Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in Knowles. That's stamps.com. Click the microphone, enter K-N-O-W-L-E-S. All right. Democrats dodged a real bullet here. So President Trump wants Bernie Sanders. All right. President Trump is hoping that Bernie gets the nomination. He, he you know, uh, President Trump, he just, he just tweeted this out. I'll read the tweet straight, straight from his account. He President Trump, as this all comes out, he says, the Democrat establishment came together and crushed Bernie Sanders again. Even the fact that Elizabeth Warren stayed in the race was devastating to Bernie and allowed Sleepy Joe to unthinkably win Massachusetts. It was a perfect storm with many good states remaining for Joe. He keeps going. So selfish for Elizabeth Warren to stay in the race. She has zero chance of even coming close to winning, but hurts Bernie badly. So much for their wonderful liberal friendship. Will he ever speak to her again? <laughs> she cost him Massachusetts and came in third. He shouldn't. <laughs> oh, I love him so much, so much. This is one of Trump's superpowers, right? Is that he's very, very good at television. He understands how to create drama, tension, characters. That's part of what the nicknaming is about is so that these politicians who seem kind of stiff or, or whatever, they then come to feel like television characters that you would know. You turn on the TV and it's Archie Bunker or somebody, except instead of Archie Bunker, it's Sleepy Joe. I guess actually in that analogy, Trump is probably the more Archie Bunker-like character. But you, you know Sleepy Joe, you know Crooked Hillary, you know Crazy Bernie. And it's all about these personal relationships. Trump is very, very good about having a relationship with the voters and about describing and pulling out the relationships between all of these other politicians. Because... Don't forget, the guy was the king of the reality TV. So when he's trying to boost Bernie and go after Biden, 
to create some chaos in the Democratic primary. He doesn't just say, socialism's bad. Socialism's going to kill us all. We're going to have bread lines. He doesn't do that. No, I mean, that, maybe that works once or twice, but that, that falls flat eventually. What people are interested in is the personal narrative, the personal story. So instead he says, all those Democrats, they're conspiring to steal it from poor Bernie, right? He's actually making Bernie into this kind of sympathetic figure. And I thought Liz Warren was his friend. That woman backstabbed her own friend. He should never speak to her again. What do you all think? Do you think he's going to speak to her again? All so personal. And he has a point on Massachusetts. Elizabeth Warren was the front runner in the Democratic Party, what, two, three months ago? Now she's nothing. She's not winning anything. Part of that is because she, we, we saw her. When you see more of Elizabeth Warren, her support tends to go down. But she lost Massachusetts and Joe Biden got it. You know, same thing in Minnesota. Minnesota is where Amy Klobuchar is from. Amy Klobuchar was at the top of the pack in Minnesota until she dropped out of the race. The second was Bernie Sanders. So if Amy had maybe gotten out of the race much earlier, or if she'd stuck in it even, Bernie Sanders would have had a better night there compared to Joe Biden. Instead, Joe Biden picked that up too. So President Trump, I think, pretty clearly wants Bernie. Republicans generally want Bernie. There's a slight disagreement on this. We had it last night on the backstage show, which is some Republicans, some conservatives like me, uh, like Drew Clavin, they want Bernie because one, Trump is going to win 57 states plus Greenland plus American Samoa, which is the only area that uh, Mike Bloomberg won. But he'll win everything if it's against Bernie. I think the polling bears that out very well. I think they've got an oppo file on him that's very, very long. The other reason is it's an honest fight. You know, Bernie actually stands for something. He stands for socialism. And Donald Trump is a symbol of American free enterprise. And you're going to have that battle and it's going to be hilarious to watch. So I'm all for that. That is the sort of upside view, right? You're looking at how great it'll be when Trump wins. The other view, which, which Ben and Jeremy have, we were talking about it on backstage, is the downside view. They say, look, even if Trump is more likely to beat Bernie Sanders, I still would rather Joe Biden be the nominee because I don't want the whole Democratic Party to unify behind Bernie Sanders, an actual socialist, an old commie. And I don't want to risk the chance that Bernie somehow becomes president. Me, I'm not so afraid of the risk. Bring on the risk. I am, I'm not terribly risk averse. I think it'd be great to have the honest conversation and I think it'll feel even better to win this time than it felt uh, last time. So you got Trump, you got most Republicans want Bernie. The Democrats pretty clearly want Biden. Okay. The reason they want Biden is because one, I think they know that Bernie is more likely to get completely blown out of the race, but two, I'm not sure that they want this guy, this socialist, coming in and taking over their party. Don't forget, Bernie Sanders isn't even a registered Democrat. <laughs> so Bernie has been an independent, and he describes himself as a socialist. Then in 2016, in order to run for the Democratic primary, he had to register as a Democrat, which he did. Then he lost that primary. He re-registers as an independent. This time around, so that his Bernie bro supporters didn't have a complete meltdown, they allowed him to run as an independent, but he's actually technically not even a Democrat. So the party itself, the party apparatus really doesn't like the guy. 
They keep trying to rob him. They probably are successfully going to rob him again. And Biden is in the lead, but Biden still faces challenges. So last night, Biden is addressing his supporters. He's so uh, happy, so excited. Everyone's feeling great. And he confuses his wife with his sister. By the way, it's my little sister, Valerie, and I'm Jill's husband. Oh, no, this is the, oh, they switched on me. This is my wife. This is my sister. They switched on me. All right. So this is, a, this is actually a pretty funny moment, I think, for a guy who's been plagued on the campaign trail by forgetting all sorts of things. Uh, a couple days ago, he forgot the name of God in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all, you know, and, and you know the thing. So he, he lost that. He's, he's messed up people's names. He's done all of that. I don't think that's what's really happening in this clip. I think he's staring forward at the crowd. He's got two women on either side of him. He's not looking at either of them. So he reaches for one. He says, this is my sister. Oh, wait a minute. That's not my sister. Hold on. You guys turned around on me. That was kind of a funny moment. It showed he was a little more with it maybe than that, than we had seen before. Uh, the bigger challenge I think, look, Joe Biden is nothing. He is a, truly an empty suit. He's the embodiment of nothing. What's really going to happen now is, as it looks like Joe's walking away with the nomination, these radical Democrats, and there are many of them, are going to create a lot of trouble for him. They already did that last night. Joe's uh, big, happy victory speech was interrupted by activists, and not just any kind of activists. They were activists protesting the horrible cruelty of milk. The neighbors, we come from the three. Let dairy die. That is an actual campaign. If, if you had taken this to a, an SNL screenwriter five years ago, no one would have believed it, right? Nobody would have believed it. But that's where we are now. I mean, this is that Joaquin Phoenix stuff. This is that uh, Joaquin Phoenix at the Oscars comes up. He goes, look, man, we've got to stop drinking milk. We've got to stop eating cheese. It's so cruel. It's so awful. By the way, all of these people support abortion. They all support killing babies in the womb, but they don't want to drink milk because somehow it's mean to the cow. I don't think Joe Biden is particularly worried about the dairy industry, but there are a lot of grassroots leftists who are going to come up and make a lot of trouble for Joe Biden as this goes on. Uh, we will get to the, the rest of the night, we will get to the radicalism of uh, the party. First, I got to thank our friends over at Tommy John. Look, I am a man who has simple tastes. I am easily satisfied by the very best, as Winston Churchill said. Tommy John is the revolutionary clothing brand that has redefined comfort for Americans everywhere. Tommy John is all about fabric, fit, and function. Tommy John obsesses over every little detail and stitch by using proprietary fabrics that perform like nothing you have ever worn before. As a result, Tommy John's men's and women's underwear sport a, a very comfortable guarantee, stay put waistbands, a range of fabrics that are luxuriously soft, feather light, moisture wicking, breathable, and designed to move with you 
not against you. It is by far the best I've ever worn. Tommy John is so confident in their underwear that if you don't love your first pair, you can get a full refund with their best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. You can also find them in over 1,200 retail locations across the country, including Nordstrom stores. Tommy John, no adjustment needed. But you don't need to go to those stores. Go to TommyJohn.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, for 20% off your first order. TommyJohn.com slash Knowles, 20% off your first order. TommyJohn.com slash Knowles. Uh, Bernie did not have a terrible night. He had an okay night. Uh, His supporters are going to say that this whole thing is rigged. Uh, This time around, it doesn't seem like it's quite rigged. It seems like it's strategic, right? It seems like the, the Democratic Party is making a choice here. So the person who most underperformed is Warren. There's a fan question that just came in from uh, TZ. Who is the next dropout? Funny you should ask that now. It very likely could be Warren. There, it's either Warren or Bloomberg, right? And so Warren had a, a terrible night. I mean, it was humiliating. She came in third in her own state. So for Warren, the question is going to be, can she go to her donors with a straight face and say, give me more of your money so that I can do what? Can't even win Massachusetts? No, probably not. And Elizabeth Warren needs those donors because she's still running. She's still an active politician. Mike Bloomberg doesn't need any of that money. He's accountable to no one. And he's got his campaign staff on contract through November. So Mike Bloomberg, it doesn't cost him anything really to keep running. The guy's worth $60 billion. So even if he spends another $200 million, that doesn't really do all that much. Uh, if Elizabeth Warren is smart for the rest of her career, she will drop out now and stop burning her, her uh, donor money. Mike Bloomberg doesn't have to worry. I hope he stays in it a long time and pushes for a brokered convention and uh, buys off the whole rest of the party. So e- Elizabeth Warren's big problem, why did she flop? Her big problem was she didn't pick a lane. The lane was, do you go for Bernie's voters or Biden's voters? All right, this is, this is a, uh, a problem that rhinos have a lot, the Republicans in name only, right? Is why would you vote for a liberal Republican when you can vote for a Democrat? This was Elizabeth Warren's problem. She, when she initially, she was maybe going to go for some of Biden's voters. Then she decided she was going to go radical, go for Bernie's voters. And then when she was asked more or less, why should people vote for you over Bernie? She said, look, I love Bernie's policies. I think they're great. Bernie's so terrific, but I'll be better at implementing them. Nobody cares about that. Nobody is going to get behind that candidate. If you're making the argument that you're just Bernie light, if Republicans make the argument that they're Democrats light, then people are going to vote for the real thing. Why do I want this watered down, watered down Bernie Sanders when I can get the real Bernie? Why would anybody vote for some weak Republican who's half a Democrat when they can just vote for the Democrat uh, themselves? Another lane that she didn't pick, which is people are not really talking about, is that there are two kinds of politicians. There are conviction politicians and convenience politicians. I've been saying this for a long time. Dennis Prager brought it up last night on the backstage. Those are the two, the the politicians who believe something, who run for office to do something, to enact a vision, and politicians who just want to be politicians. Now, when you look at the two Democratic frontrunners, it's pretty clear who is who. Bernie Sanders 
Got to give the guy credit where credit's due. He's had a consistent vision. Joe Rogan called Bernie's vision insanely consistent. I would call it insane as well. Joe Biden doesn't believe in anything. He's changed his opinion on virtually every issue. He doesn't care. He has a, a cynical view of the world. He has no regard for the truth. He just wants to be a politician. He just wants to be the president. He wants to sit in the Oval Office. So those are the two. And you can pick, right? Actually, both kinds of politicians can be successful. Liz Warren's trouble is she can't decide. Which is she going to be? She is cynical. She has no regard for the truth. She lies about everything, her upbringing, her getting fired, her child school, uh, all of that. But is she going to be the progressive champion, the fighter power to the people, or is she going to be an establishmentarian DC type person who really knows how to work the system? She didn't choose and uh, it was too bad for her. Mike Bloomberg lost everything uh, except for American Samoa. The thing that matters is not Bloomberg's campaign because he's not going to be president. The thing that matters is it shows you how empty a left-wing slogan is. The left is always telling you that people are buying off the, the White House. They're buying political office in the United States. Mike Bloomberg sure doesn't think so. Bloomberg's candidacy shows you money doesn't actually determine politics in the United States. The guy has spent like $600 million so far. He spent over half a billion dollars on this campaign and he's gotten nowhere other than American Samoa, which he could have just purchased outright for the same amount of money. The left is always prattling on about Citizens United, the Supreme Court decision that allowed people to donate to candidates, that allowed organizations to donate to candidates, as you absolutely should be permitted to do. They said there's too much money in politics. Even John McCain, when he teamed up with all the liberals, on one of the occasions that he teamed up with all the liberals, he limited our First Amendment rights to donate to political campaigns. And he said, there's too much money in politics. Guess what? Money in politics doesn't go very far, does it? Mike Bloomberg completely flopped. Guy's got all the money in the world. Actually, we've seen this before. We saw this in the 1992 election with Ross Perot. Ross Perot was an independent billionaire who came out, spent a lot, a lot of money, didn't do anything, didn't go very far at all. The enduring image from the day, from the Bloomberg campaign, comes out. It is Mike Bloomberg at a table of snacks reaching and grabbing the snacks, then licking all of his fingers, then reaching back into the snacks. You see this? He looks just like a, he looks like an old retired billionaire, really. He's wearing a sweater, kind of hunched over, doing whatever he wants, licking his fingers like a total psycho, then lean, then back in, he's touching the coffee thing. Look, man, we got coronavirus over here. This is not terribly sanitary and it doesn't look good. It doesn't make you look like a leader. So the Super Tuesday leaves Democrats in relatively good shape, with Biden, they have a chance, however small, to beat President Trump. Uh, so that's good. I guess they're probably breathing a sigh of relief there. Downside is uh, it's now more likely to be a very, very bloody primary all the way to the convention. Whereas if it were Bernie, it might not have been so bloody because if Bernie actually made it through, he probably would have run away with the thing. Uh, maybe more important than the number of delegates that each candidate got, is the number of voters who actually showed up. I think this is going to predict a little bit more than even the horse race of who's winning. Democratic turnout so far in this primary is down. It's down from 2018, which was a midterm election. We were told every, all the Democrats are fired up. They're going to show up. They're going to go out there. Young voters fired up. 
young voters barely turned out. NBC was reporting from exit polls, 13% of the voters were, were young. I thought young voters were going to make up the majority. That's what they all told us. A Virginia turnout was pretty high. Most other places, very low. At the same time, President Trump is seeing record high turnout for an incumbent. So in New Hampshire, just to use that example, Trump got about 130,000 votes in the Republican 2020 primary. Most people don't even know that there are people running against Donald Trump in the Republican primary, but there are. One guy's name is Bill Weld, a couple other wackos, and uh, Trump, Trump got the voters out. He crushed them, got 130,000 votes. That's more than double what Obama got in 2012 when he was running for re-election and what George Bush got in 2004 when he was running for re-election. The media can't understand this. Okay, they can't understand why Democrats would not be totally fired up, ready to go to the polls of, for the ouster of President Trump and why anybody would still go vote for Trump. So there was this great moment. It happened on MSNBC where one of the reporters uh, asked a Hispanic man who he was voting for, who his family was voting for, and she didn't get the answer that she liked. We will get to that in a second, but first I've got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. The Daily Wire's own Andrew Claven. You've you heard of that guy. I think you know him. He's released the second entry in his Another Kingdom trilogy. Uh, the books are just tremendous. They're really terrific. I've had the privilege of narrating them from the beginning. So season one, we started three years ago. We did it up in Drew's attic and then it jumped up, became one of the top arts podcasts in the world. Then we got our second and third season out of it. I'm also narrating the audiobook, So we're going to go into the studio for that next week. The second book is great. It's called The Nightmare Feast. And this trilogy is really weird in the sense that the first one is good, very popular, sold a lot of copies. People really liked it. The second one is better. The third one is the best of all, but you can't read the third until you read the second one. So I would go head on out. That is uh, The Nightmare Feast, part of the Another Kingdom trilogy by Andrew Clavin. Uh, head on over to dailywire.com. You know what you get. You get all of us, you get all the shows, you get everything, and you get the Leftist Tears Tumblr, which is so, so important. So head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. We'll be right back with a lot more. All right. So the media are shocked. They can't imagine that enthusiasm might be a little lower for Democrats. It might actually be pretty high for Republicans. So on Katie Turr's show on MSNBC, she goes in with an interpreter to talk to a man at a, a Hispanic market, and they ask who they're voting for, who the family's voting for. She gets an answer she doesn't like. Is your daughter, is it your daughter leading the, leading the charge? Is it your daughter who is No, my señora, my daughter is... De Donald. Oh, yeah. wow. De Donald. Donald Trump. Yeah. Your daughter's going to vote for Donald Trump? Yeah. Why? No sé, le encanta. Pero tu esposa va a votar. The economy. Yeah. You don't see that too much, but it's fascinating. You know, in the Latino community, um, you're seeing that there's still kind of the stubborn 10 to 15% of the population that is going to uh, that continuously pulls uh, in favor of Donald Trump. So why do you think that is? You know, at least in my family, I don't know, some folks are members of law enforcement. Um, some folks, uh, you know, uh, just really focus on the economy. Um, uh, I don't know what the, re the exact reasons are, but the there tends to be that, that, that certain conservative um, flank within the Latino community. 
I love this. I love his, he's embarrassed. He's embarrassed for his own community. He says, yeah, there's just this really stubborn 15% that had votes for, for Trump and Republicans. I don't get, I don't get it. Right. He asks the guy, he says, wait, who's your daughter voting for? I says, oh, uh, for Trump, for Donald, for Donald. Listen, you, that familiarity, that first name. And so uh, he says, why? And she goes, eh, he, she likes him. I don't know. She likes him. And you know, the economy is good and whatever. And, and then this guy, he says, wait, hold on. There's this stubborn group of Hispanics who, I don't know, maybe they work in law enforcement. Maybe they like it when there are laws and there's a, they're a stable country. And I guess they like the economy. What a bunch of weirdos. They don't even understand about the 56 genders. They don't even care about gender theory and killing babies. They don't, it's like so weird, right? It doesn't make sense. They can't figure it out. I think most Americans have figured it out. Uh, let's get to a listener question from MJ. Michael, do you think the closer the race is, the more it hurts Biden in the general election because all the Bernie bros will stay home on election day feeling they got cheated? Yes, it's very possible. It's very possible that they will not show up. You know, usually what happens in bruising primaries is the party comes together, they unite, it's fine, don't worry about it. The thing that's different about Bernie Sanders, thing that might have been different about Donald Trump too, is they're not regular members of their own parties. I mean, Bernie Sanders is literally not a Democrat, and Donald Trump was not a Republican for much of his life. So he got different voters in that usually, you know, the Republicans wouldn't get and for Bernie that usually the Democrats wouldn't get. And they just want Bernie. They don't want Biden. They hate Biden. If you look at the vitriol that the, that the Bernie bros have sent at Biden, at Buttigieg, even at Elizabeth Warren, these kind of neoliberal establishment types, I think they'd probably prefer Donald Trump. And I think that's what Trump is thinking. Trump is thinking, yeah, I could win over some of those Bernie guys. And even if I can't win them all over, I can demoralize them enough or rather Joe Biden is going to demoralize them enough that they'll stay home because they don't hate me all that much more than they hate Joe Biden. In some cases, they, they probably prefer him. So you've got this bruising primary that's going on. And that's really what I think the Republicans are hoping for. They're hoping for like the Iran-Iraq war. You don't care who wins. You just want, you just want mass casualties. Uh, some Democrats have gone from perplexed at this to furious. And one of them is the former head of the Democratic Party, Donna Brazil, who's a contributor on Fox News. She was interviewed on Fox News and she was on with Ronna McDaniel, who's the head of the Republican Party currently. I just did an event with her at CPAC and Ronna's kind of laughing and having a great time about this crazy Democratic primary. And Donna Brazil gets so heated and she tells the RNC chairwoman to go to hell. First of all, I, I want to talk to my Republicans. First of all, stay the hell out of our race. Stay the hell out of our race. I get sick and tired, Ed uh, and Sandra, of listening to Republicans tell me and the Democrats about our process. First of all, they don't have a process. They're canceling primaries. They have winner-take-all. They don't have the kind of democracy that we see on the Democratic side. And for people to use Russian talking points to sow division among Americans, that is stupid. So, Rana, go to hell. This whoa, is whoa. not about... No, go to hell. I'm tired of it, Ed. We're not... We're not trying to prevent anyone from becoming the nominee. I know the process. Rana knows the process. But to infer that we're trying to prevent one candidate over another, that's not happening. 
Okay, first of all, that's not what infer means. That was, this is the, I know there are other big aspects of this, this uh, interview, but this is the first thing that jumped out at me. Uh, she means imply. Imply is when you are saying something and that has an insinuation. And infer is when you are deducing something from what you've heard. Just a minor point to show you that Donna Brazil doesn't know what she's talking about on a whole host of things because she's being very dishonest in this clip. She, she says that the Democrats are not trying to steal this election from anybody. They are. They don't want Bernie to be the nominee. That's why they all coalesced behind Joe Biden after South Carolina. That's why they didn't even wait until Super Tuesday. But it's not just that they're trying to steal it from him now. The way that I know that Donna Brazil is lying about this is she personally tried to steal the election, the nomination from Bernie Sanders in 2016. Personally, there was a Democratic debate and Donna Brazil passed debate questions along to Hillary Clinton. Donna Brazil, head of the DNC, goes on cable news a lot, hands it to the candidate. So yes, she is certainly stealing it from them. And then just think about how rude it is. Think about how unseemly it is to go out there and say, hey, you go to hell. This is dumb. This is stupid. This is right. They criticize Trump for being mean and for being crass and for being vulgar. That's very vulgar behavior. That's, that's just as bad as anything that Donald Trump has done. But the left is always projecting onto others what they themselves do. And then when occasionally Trump actually fights fire with fire, gives them a taste of their own medicine, they're shocked. They clutch their pearls. The fury that you're seeing from Donna Brazil there is genuine, I think. I think it is representative of what the Democratic Party is feeling right now. I think they feel lost. Because even though they dodged a bullet with Bernie last night, he didn't run away with Super Tuesday. They're in for a very bruising primary process. And their front runner, Joe Biden, is simply past his prime. Okay, Joe Biden is in his late 70s. He was not always quick on his feet, even in his 40s or 50s. He's been in the government for about 50 years. Uh, that's not a great look when you, when you look at somebody like President Trump. If you're trying to beat the president, this is a guy who, he jokes, he says, do I, do I think Joe's too old? I don't know, but I'm young and vibrant. I've got a lot of energy. I mean, Trump has the energy of a guy who's half of his age. And Joe Biden does not. He's got the energy of a guy who's double his age. So I think they're really furious. The cream of the crop candidates did not show up in 2020. That might be because they're writing off the year and they're going to try to regroup for 2024. In any case, a fine night for Democrats, but a finer primary season for Republicans. Speaking of corrupt Democrats, misunderstanding the world, there is a little, little reported on story here that I thought was so indicative of the kind of left-wing worldview. So you remember Katie Hill. Katie Hill is that Democratic Congresswoman who had the thruple. She was the one who was married, but then she was taking weird nude photos with her staffer and combing her hair, and it was just like yucky. It was just not cool. And then she was, she had relationships with other staffers, and it was just very, very creepy and weird. So, so Katie Hill does all of this. Then it's found out right? That she's sleeping with her staff and doing sort of things that if a Republican did it, they'd be run out of town and probably prosecuted. But Katie Hill does it. She's a Democrat and the media uh, conspire to paint her as a victim somehow. She's sexually harassing all of her staff, but she's the victim. And there's a lot of evidence that they were actually planning this all out together, the media and Katie Hill. So there is now a piece trying to rehabilitate her image. 
this piece is out in the cut, you know, so left wing outlet. And it, it gets to, I, I don't even really care that much about Katie Hill. She can have whatever career she wants. It gets to a problem with the, the way the left views life and views the world. This is how it goes. By mid-2019, Hill was thriving in her new role in Congress. She'd begun a romantic relationship with Alex Thomas, a political writer she met in D.C. In August, they went on a beach vacation together. There was over, this overwhelming sense then that like, this is perfect, she said. I feel so happy and I feel like I've accomplished so much and I'm doing this important work and like, it can't really get better than this. And maybe this is the point that I should just check out, right? Check out meaning kill herself. She's married, by the way, and she's on this vacation with a guy who's not her husband. Goes on. She said she stared at the ocean and thought of The Awakening by Kate Chopin, a feminist novel from the turn of the 20th century in which a dissatisfied wife and mother commits suicide by drowning. Wow, very romantic, dramatic scene. Katie Hill contemplated suicide. Very sad sort of thing. I hope she doesn't do that. Hope she comes to her senses. What's most disturbing about this, though, is not even that she contemplated suicide. It's that she didn't contemplate suicide when things were going really, really poorly. She contemplated suicide when things were going really, really well. She said, she writes, I just felt so happy. I feel like I've accomplished so much. I'm doing this important work. So it can't really get better than this. So maybe this is the point I should just kill myself. She, she thinks of suicide as a way to celebrate how, how well things are going. And look at this important, she said, I'm doing all this important work. But if you're doing all this important work, this work that you think is really important, why would you kill yourself? That would prevent you from doing the work. Well, we see here that Katie Hill, and I think a lot of leftists view them, their work this way, what's important about the work is not the effect it might have on other people. What's important to her about the work is how it makes her feel. It's all just about her. The work makes me feel so good and, f- and pleasure is all that I want. This is what happens to a mind that is warped by selfishness is pleasure becomes the most important thing to attain. And if you look at the personal scandals Katie Hill has had, you see that she's clearly lived her life that way. Pleasure is the most important thing and you have to sacrifice everything, including your own life on the altar of pleasure. She I just want to feel good. I just write, I mean, if you look at this in the sort of sexual realm, you say, oh good, I've got this one sexual partner, that's good. Maybe two would be better, maybe three would be even better than that. And if you look at this in the span of a lifetime, you say, gosh, I never want to suffer. I never want to go through pain. I never want to complete the work that I'm saying is so important because if I complete the work, I will risk discomfort. And that would be unthinkable, unimaginable to possibly suffer at all. So instead, I'm going to just find the exact moment when my pleasure levels are exactly at the highest and then end it. That's really perverse. I mean, suicide is a, a purely selfish act. And that's true even if you're in great pain and you commit suicide. That's a purely selfish act. But, it, but think about how much more disturbing it is, how much more perverted your worldview has to be, how much more selfish you have to be to, uh, to contemplate that because things are going too good and you don't want them to get any worse. Really perverse stuff, but that's, 
That's what happens when your worldview just goes off kilter. Uh, before we go, speaking of worldviews going off kilter, I got to get to the T-Swift music video. The news cycle has been so insane, we haven't had any time to get to it. But Taylor Swift has a new video out. It's called The Man, I think. And in it, Taylor Swift very disturbingly puts on all these prosthetics and looks like a man and then uh, sings about how terrible men are and how it would be so much cooler if she were a man. I would be complex. I would be cool. They'd say I played the field before I found someone to commit to. So she's got the suit on. For me to do. She'd be a big jerk. She's ripping up things in the office. I had made would make me more of a boss to you. I'd be a fearless leader. I'd be an alpha type. When everyone believes ya. What's that like? I'm so sick of running as fast as I can. So then she's she's sitting on the subway dressed like a man with her legs spread smoking a cigar, which is actually the way that I ride the subway. If I were a man, then I'd be the man. That's the that's the thesis. And at one point she, he is urinating on the wall of a subway. They're right. This guy's a real jerk, huh? This guy's a real jerk. There are so many problems with the logic of this video. First, the first one has to do with the thesis. If I were a man, then I'd be the man. Because that doesn't plain, paint a very flattering portrait of Taylor Swift. She's saying, if I were a man, then I would be the man. She's saying, all these terrible qualities associated with this guy that I'm describing... I have all of those qualities, but because I'm a woman, they reflect really poorly on me. But if I were a man, they would reflect really good on me, right? If I were a man, I'd be the man. So she's saying she's promiscuous and a jerk because that's how she's depicting the man in this video. And of course, in reality, that's, that's not the way it's worked out. In reality, Taylor Swift is portrayed in a very flattering way. And the man in this video, the stereotypical man in that video is portrayed in a very negative way, including by Taylor Swift. The second problem here, she undercuts her whole thesis by showing that she wouldn't be the man, right? The whole thing is if I were a man, I, people would love me for being a big jerk and urinating on subways and smoking cigars and, and opening and smoking cigars in people's faces and opening my legs and just being a yelling at people. But she's showing she wouldn't, she wouldn't be the man then because people don't like those things. And the way we know they don't like those things is she's using all of them to create a negative portrait, an unflattering portrait. So she wouldn't be the man. The third problem with the logic of this video is my favorite one, which is that by the logic of the left, she could be a man. <laughs> she, maybe she is a man. I, like, by, the, by the current gender theory logic that is embraced by the mainstream left, if you are a woman and you want to be a man, you just can be, or you, then you are. If you put on a suit and, you know, you put on a tie, yeah, then you're a man. If you say you're a man, then you are a man. So why not just be a man? The video is undercutting, of course, this whole logic of gender theory, which is that there's no such thing as gender. And of course, if you're going to make a commentary on men or women, then you can't really go along with the gender theory that there's no such thing as men or women, or that men can be women and vice versa. Not a very uh, logical video. What it is, is an emotional a cry. It's an emotional temper tantrum. And it comes from a place of selfishness. It's Taylor Swift saying, mm, life's not fair to me. I'm a woman. Taylor Swift is incredibly wealthy. 
incredibly hot, incredibly successful. She can do whatever she wants in life. She has had, she's got one of the most privileged lives on earth, but it's not enough. You got to complain. That's what happens in a culture where everyone is just whining for more, 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 and me, 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 whether it's uh, T-Swift or Katie Hill or or the fury that we're seeing in the Democratic primary. Uh, that's our show. We got a whole lot more, but we'll have to wait. I'm going to be filling in for the Ben Shapiro radio show today, so you can tune in to that. I'm going to be up at UC Santa Cruz giving a speech that I'm going to fly out to right after the radio show, so hopefully my flight's not delayed, and we'll see you there. That's going to be a fun speech on when democracy goes wrong. Should be fun on, I believe, the most liberal campus in the United States. So stay tuned. Uh, we're going to be streaming that on, I think, The Daily Wire and Young America's Foundation. So check it out. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. Production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Well, the Democrat establishment and desperate voters carried a doddering old man to victory over a crazy communist on Super Tuesday. We'll talk about that and we have the mailbag so all your problems will be solved on The Andrew Claven Show.